Hey there, everyone. Today, I've got Sarah Christensen joining me today on the show. We're going to be talking about cancel culture. Hey there, I'm David C. Barnett, and you're tuned in to Small Business and Deal Making, the broadcast, podcast, YouTube channel where I talk about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses while controlling risk. So if you're looking to take control of your future through buying a business one day, or if you already own a business and you're looking to grow or exit, you've come to the right place. I talk about interesting things. I talk to interesting people and I answer your questions every week right here. So be sure to hit like, be sure to hit subscribe and let's get to it. Is that exciting? I have a canned intro now. I'm impressed. <laughs> I made it myself. You can tell. Um, <laughs> so uh, Sarah, welcome to the show. I want to let everyone know just how you and I met because um, it was actually in January of 2019. It was uh, the period of world history before we had any kind of pandemics going on, right? So it was, um, I actually went to San Diego because you were hosting an event down there. And um, I got to meet a bunch of other people who have businesses very similar to mine. And it was great. I'm still in touch with a lot of people from then. Um, and, and so what was your business? I mean, we're going to talk about cancel culture, but I want to know a little bit about you and about what your business was like and, and what your business history was up until we get to this most recent uh, set of events. So, so where did, how did you get started? Yeah. So, well, just, so I've owned five different businesses over the course of 25 years. When I came out of college, I just knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur and I knew I wanted to own my own business. I decided how to do it. So I started in corporate America and then made a transition to doing consulting at the same time that I was actually working still full time. Um, I had a marketing agency at that time and then I just transitioned into that. So I've been, like I said, an entrepreneur and a business owner for a long time. I've, I had a marketing agency. I had a jewelry design studio. Um, my longest business that I had was for about 10 years. It was a wireless technology company before anybody had iPhones or any kind of like super cool mobile technology. We were on the front bleeding edge of that. And um, most recently, my business was about putting together small groups of business founders and CEOs and, and facilitating those groups to help people help each other. So it's basically CEO support groups. They're called mastermind groups. And that's mm -hmm. what I met was at an event I had called Mastermind Live. Yeah. And, and I've been in mastermind groups for, you know, over 10 years, like live ones here locally uh, situated and, and so I was looking to explore new and different things. And that's, that's how I came across your business and, and met you. And so we're talking about cancel culture here though today. So just so that everybody understands, can, can you define for me, for everyone, and, and for anyone who wants to leave a comment, we're, we're gonna do a Q&A here as we move on. Um, for, what exactly is cancel culture? Yeah, so I think that's a great question to start because it's been um, sort of misinterpreted lately and some people are using that term when it really isn't um, cancel culture. So um, cancel culture is really about when an individual is ostracized and thrust out of professional and personal circles, whether it's online, it can be done in real life too, which I think um, we don't hear that much about, but if that is possible. So basically if a group or a group of people don't agree with something that you say, they will go after you, they will go after your business partners, they'll go after your clients and do anything that they can to destroy you and or your business. 
And, and I want to be clear that it's not just nasty comments on the internet. It's not just like people saying bad things about you on Twitter, but when cancel culture comes for you, they will, again, contact your clients. In my particular situation, they took down my website. They gave me a ton of bad reviews. They tried to hack into my bank account. They extorted me. I got death threats. So it's not just comments on the internet. And I think that's a big misperception where people say, well, how, I mean, how much can that really hurt your business if people are just saying bad things about you online? But they do go after your business assets. And now we really don't have a clear division between what happens online and what happens like in real world business, because whether you're doing e-commerce or you're marketing your business online, that online perception and your online reputation matters tremendously. I, I think that it's great that you drew this particular distinction between um, not just saying bad things, because I think that um, there has always been a history of people um, who are in the public spotlight, like politicians, let's say, or actors, sure. celebrities, where, you know, I mean, on Twitter all the time, people will say things about uh, politicians they don't agree with or something like that. Yep. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about yep. a, a group of people, and, and, and we'll talk about how this is organized in a little bit, but we're talking about a group of people who actually try to take proactive action to try to sabotage someone by, for example, calling up the business's customers and threatening those customers saying, hey, if you keep buying these products from this guy, we're going to go after you next kind of thing, like like overt threats. Well, can, can you talk about how this gets organized? Like, are there cancel culture organizations? Could you say that? Um, yes and no. So there are some activist type organizations that if there's a certain topic that goes against what they're that stand for, they will definitely participate in these. Um, but honestly, it's loosely organized. And when I say loosely, don't misinterpret that for not being effective. When I right. say loosely, it's it typically it's started by a single individual. Sometimes that single individual is the one that will be the the, the fuel and the fire but the engine behind it. But sometimes they're not. Sometimes these things just take on a life of their own. Sometimes they're organized on things like Reddit, 4chan, 8chan, but sometimes it's just this organic like building of people joining the mob through social media. I mean, Twitter is Twitter used to be where most of these things started, and I would say that Twitter's still the worst place, but I can't believe how much stuff and action I'm seeing on Instagram, even on LinkedIn, which is shocking because a big piece of the canceler's power comes in anonymity, but on LinkedIn, they're not really anonymous. So that just speaks to the fact that more people are getting bold about this, even more emboldened to do this with their real name and face. So it's organized, it's but it's loosely organized, which makes it impossible to control. When these things start, they just can go out of control so quickly. And the thing that's so scary about that is there's no fact checking there's no people who are like, wait a minute, I better check out and see if that's true before I jump into this mob, into this, you know, chasing after this person and going after them. There's none of that. It takes off like a complete wildfire and misinformation can spread so quickly. So is so OK. So just saying bad things is not really cancel culture. What about like I can remember, for example, seeing people organize campaigns against certain products or companies, maybe because of like animal testing on products or something sure. of that nature, right? So would being like organizing a product boycott, would, would that qualify as cancel culture? 
Well, I think there's a big red dividing line between what you want to use your money to support or not support. Like mm -hmm. if you don't, if you don't believe that Hobby Lobby is a classic example. Hobby Lobby as a business does not want their company health insurance to cover birth control. If you're against that, don't shop at Hobby Lobby. Don't put your money towards that. But the, the, the tipping point comes when you are pulling other people in to boycott that business, but also to destroy that business. So it's not just a boycott. It's saying, not only am I not going to use my money or my, you know, my influence to suggest other people not use their money, but we want to absolutely destroy your business. That's the big difference between that. I mean, there are some businesses I do not personally support because they don't believe in some of the things that I believe in. But sure. that is very different than me going out onto Twitter, saying all sorts of crazy stuff about them, trying to get other people to take them down, contacting their suppliers and their customers, um, and doing all kinds of crazy stuff like that to literally destroy them. There's a big difference between not supporting and destroying. So it's interesting that the word culture is a part of this term because you just said a little while ago that people are becoming more and more emboldened, you know, acting out on cancel culture issues on a platform like LinkedIn, like LinkedIn, for example, where everyone can see where they work, right? I mean, you are totally exposed if you're going to make like a political view on a platform like LinkedIn, like people, people can know everything about you. And so obviously people feel like it's okay to be doing this kind of thing. What, what, what do you think is, is driving this? What, because it, I mean, we're all taught to be polite and to, you know, uh, behave properly with strangers and, and, um, you know, I try to teach my kids to think before they speak. So, I mean, what is happening that is causing, that are causing people to simply react without taking any pause, do you think? Well, if there's a whole bunch of factors that play into this. One of the main ones is that, especially in the United States, we're in an incredibly divided society. We tend to be very binary right now. There's no room for nuance and like black, black and white is where we're at versus grays. So mm. when, when people get attacked, typically it's over a, what I call an intersectionality tripwire, which is a hot topic politically and culturally, you know, um, gay rights is a huge one, trans rights, um, your race, your immigration status. I mean, there's a whole gigantic list of them that I review with my clients, but typically we don't look at those things anymore in, in the gray. And the truth of the matter is, is that there's a lot of grayness in life. So we're in this highly political and very charged place. And that's, that causes people to want to fight people that don't agree with them. So there's that. We also have a generation, mostly younger millennials and the Z's, who have grown up just online, like they, it's their native, right? They have always known how to swipe and to tap things on the internet and they solve problems very differently than people who are in older generations. And so they tend to have a lot of, and they also are uh, very much activists. Like they're very idealistic, which is great. There's some greatness about that. I think we need some of that in our world. But when you combine that idealism with their ability to interact online and be so deft online, they can do so much damage. And I've talked to a ton of people who have been part of canceling and part of mobs. And I got to tell you, there are a lot of people who participate in this that don't realize the damage that they're doing. They think they're doing good work. They think they're taking out a bad person. 
A lot of them are doing this with, honestly, with open hearts and good intentions. Now, there are certainly psychopaths like the people who send death threats, but there are a lot of people who go into this with, you know, good intentions. And then um, there's also a lot of virtue signaling, which is a term that means people are saying these things and jumping onto these bandwagons because they want their peer group to see who they are. They want their participation to reflect on what a good, virtuous person they are. And then the other thing I want to mention too is um, there's a tremendous amount of tribalness to this, which sort of goes into the first thing that I mentioned about us being so divided. People are looking for a place to belong, especially after we've gone through this whole COVID thing and our social um, interactions have been online. When you get a tribe of people together, it's almost like they lose their minds when they're fighting for something. And that's what I see happen in a lot of these particular situations, um, especially when there's that anonymity and that can rob good people of their conscience, quite frankly. So there's a lot of reasons why this is happening right now. Well, I, I was talking with a young woman who's in her 20s and I was asking her a couple of questions in preparation for, for our talk here tonight. And one of the curious things that she said to me is she she expressed that, um, you know, she said, well, it, it depends what the Internet thinks of that. And and I said, oh, that's really curious. Like, you think the Internet has an opinion? And she's like, yeah, yeah, the Internet has an opinion on everything. And and I thought that was really interesting because, of course, I see individual people, right? But yeah. she kind of thought, saw it as like this, this common voice that, is, you know, goes one way or the other, I guess, depending on how the, the individuals are reacting and, and the, the feedback loops that are created, right? Because it's, it's uh, let's, let's get in a little bit about what happened with you because you yeah. said that all of these things happen with one person, but then there's a catalyst, right? So it's, I mean, I could go on to the internet right now and complain about something, but, um, you know, unless other people are willing to get on the bandwagon with, bandwagon with me, it's not really gonna go anywhere. You would be surprised, though, how little it takes to get a mob going. I mean, how, how lies, misperceptions, there's an unbelievable amount of, uh, like, desire to be outraged and desire to, like, jump on this bandwagon. So, I mean, I worked on situations where you would be shocked to hear what the offense was, what, what the person did or what the business did. That was give, us, give us an example. Um, oh, I can't tell you about any of my particular clients, but I can give you some other examples. So, um, there's a coffee shop. They're no longer, um, in business because they got taken out of business that that was in Portland named Ristretto Roasters was run by a wonderful man, super coffee aficionado. He had many cafes, was a, had a lot of corporate accounts doing incredibly well. His wife, who had absolutely nothing to do with the business was on a YouTube conversation, much like this one where her and the other person were talking about the Me Too situation. And they called the name of the episode hashtag me neither because they were talking about how like that, that hadn't been their experience. And, but they didn't say anything derogatory about the movement at all. An ex-employee of the coffee shop contacted news reporters, employees, ex-employees and said, none of you are safe working at the coffee shop because Nancy, this, the wife's name, is a threat. And working at the coffee shop is going to be a threat to all of you. None of you are safe. And it caused a whole big uprising of employees leaving, customers being angry, and ultimately it took their whole entire business out. So again, the business owner in that particular situation did nothing. And his wife, I mean, his wife 
said something, but she wasn't involved in the business. And what she said, in my opinion, anyways, was so very benign that it's hard to believe this just it, it, it was like a snowstorm that just kept building and building. So these kind of things happen when there's sometimes there are businesses that do things wrong and there are ways to come back from that and ways to address that. But there are many, most of these situations that I work on and I get into a lot, a lot of these different situations. It is amazing what little spark will start these infernos. Yeah, we got a, a comment here from Tactitas who says libel suit is a possible remedy. You and I have talked about this before. Um, in the case of that coffee roasting business, I mean, you said they had commercial clients, they had multiple locations. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a pretty substantial business that took someone a long time to build. A former employee, are we talking about a former barista who started all of this? I'm thinking yeah. it doesn't really have the resources to pay out, even if she was found liable in court. That's right. Well, and let's face it, the timing is a big deal here because most cancellations are very fast and destroy immediately. By the time you have the ability to put together a suit, your business is probably already burned down. I mean, I was the lead story on NBC, BBC, The View, you name it, within 24 hours. Tell, tell us what happened. Tell us about your case. Sure. So um, I was hiring an employee who would be my marketing manager. So this person would be responsible for social media. In the application, I asked them for a link to one of their social media feeds that would represent um, their experience with with social media and how they might represent my business. I had a particular candidate apply. I looked at the Instagram link that she gave me, and it was filled with very, very like uh, scantily clad photos. Like she was didn't have a lot of clothes on in the photos. And so I like in, I didn't even think about it, took a screenshot of one of her photos. I cropped out her head and her name to protect her identity. And I said, and I put it on my Instagram stories because I knew that my candidates were looking at this. And I essentially said, Hey, if you're going to be sharing your social media and you're looking for a professional job, this is not the way to represent yourself. Do whatever you want in your free time, but this isn't doing you any good finding a professional job. So nine minutes after I posted that on my Instagram stories, and I only have like 2,500 followers on Instagram, so I didn't have a giant account. But she, this woman, the candidate was following me, she took a screenshot of that, went to Twitter, and called me out on it. And basically said, I was objectified by this company. Um, I'm baffled that they handled it in such a manner. A few minutes later, she emailed me, asked me to remove it, which I did immediately. I was, I felt bad, I took it down right away. Only 57 people saw it on my Instagram post, but it was, the cat was already out of the bag at that point because she had went to Twitter. So two hours later, a big Twitter account retweeted that. Within a couple more minutes, more than 8,000 people retweeted that. And then again, the media caught onto it, mainstream media caught on, and I was the lead story, like I said, NBC, BBC, Inc. Magazine, Whoopi Goldberg read my Instagram story on The View. I mean, it was just out of control. And then all of my business assets started getting attacked. So with nonstop phone calls, emails, hate messages, um, they contacted my clients, took down my website, thousands of bad reviews across all of the platforms. Um, I had extortion attempts. Um, that was reported to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram for violating their terms and conditions. So all of my social media got taken down. Like anything that I had out there was attacked. Um, and so, and then the worst part about it was I started receiving death threats. I was doxxed, which means my home address was put out into the world and I started receiving death threats. So I have like an eight page handwritten letter that was sent to my home detailing how they were going to kill me. 
the FBI involved, FBI got involved and ultimately we ended up selling our house and going in hiding for about six months. And my, I had to close down my business. My business was destroyed. So all because of that one Instagram story that 57 people saw where I identified nobody. Yeah. Um, I, like, I, I can't imagine that the, you know, the pain that you went through, I mean, it, and you had spent how long building that business over a decade? No, that particular business was in its third year and I was just about at the point of break even. It's, it's, I don't know. So talk about the police involvement. I mean, when, when people start to threaten you, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's what we do. We call the police. Yeah. I, am I right in guessing that when they started to examine and look into this, that these people were just distributed all over the place? I mean, they must've been from all over. Well, here's exactly what happened. So I called Austin police department. They had two very nice officers come out and basically say, we don't know how to deal with this. We don't have the resources for this. You, you probably need to get in touch with the FBI um, because the death threats were so credible. I mean, they were, they were very detailed and they knew, you know, where we live and all those things. I asked if they could put a squad outside of our house and they were like, we just don't have the resources for that. So contact the FBI. FBI gave me essentially the same kind of um, response. We just don't have the resources for this. We can't do anything until someone acts on one of these threats. And so I had a long conversation with the FBI agent and he was saying, you know, the anonymity of the people who really want to hurt you are smart enough to to be anonymous. They have VPNs, they have burner phones, they have all of those kinds of things. He basically said it's almost impossible for us to track the people who are really credible. And the the like the letter, I have one death threat letter that has their home address on it, which I'm not sure why somebody would do that. Um, but the FBI felt like that wasn't a credible threat because like who would do that? And yeah. the one the one that's really bad, no no address and the emails and all of those things that were the really like the worst of the death threats were untraceable. Although one of the phone calls, and this is kind of ironic too, one of the death threat phone calls came from the New York State Office of Mental Health. Okay. I can't explain that. (laughs) Um, How often is this happening? It's happening all the time. And we only hear about it when it hits mainstream media. And once it's hit mainstream media, it's at like a, you know, red crisis level. But I work on a lot of situations and talk to a lot of people where it's in like what I would call yellow or orange level, where they're getting harassed online, their customers are being contacted. I mean, all of the things that I went through, but it hasn't hit the mainstream media yet. It happens all the time. I just talked to a gentleman this past weekend who had a business partner that that he was working with. The business deal went south and this person decided to wage an online campaign and war against them basically i worked with a woman not that long ago who um they had she had some legal trouble with this business this business wasn't this person at this business wasn't happy with how the legal situation was going on so she decided to wage an online war against her it's being used as a weapon now and again we only see the big ones that hit mainstream media but it is happening all the time and i see um disgruntled employees starting it i see disgruntled business partners disgruntled customers people who just don't agree with what you're moving forward what you believe as either a business owner or uh, the leader of the company i'm seeing a lot of businesses that are founded by founders who support donald trump 
getting particularly targeted. Now, whatever you believe about Donald Trump, it, I don't think that if people support him, they should lose a business that they've been working 20 and 30 years for their whole entire life to build just because they support that one person politically. So it's, it is, it is unbelievable the, the amount of aggressiveness that these attackers are having towards businesses right now. And again, it's happening all the time. Let's uh, let's look at a couple of things that people are leaving in the comments. Um, and but I've I've got some more questions here on my list. Um, one of the first comments we got this evening was from Solomon, who says, "Please don't get political." Um, obviously, not wanting me to get canceled, right? Because he wants my show to go on. Thanks, Solomon. Kevin says, "Good evening from uh, from Central Florida," and and this is a great one. This is from Bernard. Uh, who says he's very curious to hear about the conversation because he's in a firearms related industry. Yeah. Are there certain like hot button industries that are facing this threat more than others? Um, yes, but those are because those industries are connected to uh, like the controversial topics in our world today. Firearms happens to be one of them for sure. Mm -hmm or it's businesses that are on one side or the other of those intersectionality topics that I discussed. So in, in the situation of a, like a firearms dealer or someone that's in that particular business, you already know that you have enemies out there. Whether you know those people or not, they don't believe in what you believe in. So you have to build some barriers around your business to protect from that just because you're in a business that's already controversial. I mean, it could be the same thing if you owned a lab where you did testing uh, on animals of animal products or, you know, whatever, whatever it might be. If you're in a space that has some controversy and some people that don't like what you're doing, you are absolutely positively a target. Uh, he, he followed up by by commenting that the process is the punishment sort of, you know, instead of um having some sort of format or form to justice with some kind of outcome, people just just decide this is what we want to have happen. And then just the going through all these, this pain is, is the punishment itself. I would tend to agree that that makes sense. Absolutely. I mean, there's so much damage that can be done before anything legal could even be formed. So it, and let's be clear, the people that do this are vigilantes. They are taking the law and everything into their own hands to decide what the punishment should be. And then they dole out the punishment as well. So there's nothing fair about this at all. And especially like in my situation and especially in, I would say almost every single one of the situations I've worked on, there's a tremendous amount of misperception and misinformation around these. People don't do their homework. They don't say, gosh, is, is Sarah really a misogynist? Or for 25 years of her career, did she support young women? Right? Like there's not there's none of that, like, let's be fair and let's look at the facts. It yeah. is just like get this person or this business in your sight and destroy them. And a very interesting comment here from Hermosa Beach Joe. I'd like to get your take on this. He asks, is this why so many businesses include a pride flag in their logo uh, during June um, sure. to protect themselves from getting canceled? Well, um, I don't know if that is necessarily their intention is to protect themselves from getting canceled, but they certainly either know who their customer base is or they want to ingratiate them to a certain themselves to a certain customer or frankly, it's a core part of their business. I mean, there, there are certain topics that I believe it makes sense to take a stand on if it is core to your business. And some businesses say you're a gay bar. You certainly want to be flying the pride flag and having that yeah. be a core part of your business. But if you're, you know, 
Amazon or Target, they've made a conscious choice that that's, a, that's something that with their brand would be positive to their customers. And I, I, I the words even sound cynical coming out of my mouth, but at the end of the day, especially um, publicly held companies, their number one fiduciary duty is to make those earnings numbers. And if they can do that through bringing in some of these social causes, of course they're going to do that. It's, it's interesting because um, what I've seen over the last year or so is that um, the amount of big companies that are willing to take, uh, to, to your point, a virtue signaling stand mm -hmm. uh, seems to be growing. Yeah. And what I'm noticing is, is not cancel culture, but people who are saying, I'm tired of this business I do business with doing all this virtue signaling. That's why I'm moving my account or I'm closing my account with them or I'm not doing business with them. And, and, you know, you said about a business that knows who their customers are. Yes. I'm wondering just how deeply and how thoroughly many of these businesses actually do know their customers. Well, they, they are making a calculated bet. Like Mike, Nike made a very calculated bet when they decided to back Colin Kaepernick 100%. They made a very calculated decision to say people who support what he stands for and kneeling during the national anthem those are our people. They made a very conscious choice to say the people who don't support that aren't our people. And they knew they were going to lose customers, but they made a, 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 a like they made a risk. They took a risk to say the business that we'll gain from the people that will support us even more enthusiastically now is more than the business that we're going to lose from the people that, that aren't going to want to have anything to do with us. Because again, Nike's a publicly held company. At the end of the day, they have to make those numbers. And and while, while I'd like to believe that some of this is done in good faith and with good intentions, I mean, they have to make those numbers first and foremost. And they, they're looking at how do we use these issues to build our business. All right. Well, and again, to what I said earlier about when I was speaking with uh, with the lady who said that uh, the internet has an opinion. Yeah. Again, a big publicly traded corporation can't have an opinion. It's it's made up of people. I mean, these are all individual people doing their jobs, right? So the bank or whatever big company it is uh, can't really hold an opinion. And a bunch of people got together and made a lot of discussion over what exactly that was going to be. And and again, I don't know if necessarily people in the public quite think about that. Um, when they see a, like a big company come out and say or do something, but all of those things are highly calculated. It's not the local store manager that gets to make that decision. Um, right. Those are things done with a lot of consultation. Yes. Um, and they're pressured to do that too. Like there's a lot of pressure for businesses to take a stand. Like you need to take a stand one way or the other. And the gap got themselves in trouble right after the election I think it was the day after the election, they posted an image on our social media that was one of those typical Gap sweatshirts with the hoodie, said Gap across the front of it, but half of it was blue and half of it was red. And it said something to the effect of, like, let's come together as a country. Oh, they, they got both sides angry with them about that. Oh, sorry. They got both sides angry and like they, they couldn't do the right thing by being neutral. So. Businesses are feeling a lot of that too, where people are saying you need to take a stand. And I think that is absolutely ridiculous if it has nothing to do with your business. Well, actually, you know, we had a comment. Someone just asked Hermosa Beach Joe again, what do you do if your customers attempt to make you pick a political side? Do you side do you do you do something or or how do you avoid it? 
Well, what I advise my clients on when it comes to this is doing the upfront work. So I, a lot of my clients are doing upfront planning so that they can avoid having this happen to them and doing the upfront work to go through all of the controversial topics, those intersectionality tripwires that I have mentioned to decide, does it make sense to take a stand or not? And we go through a question and answer um, with every single topic, like does this materially have to do with your business? Does this, is this um, group or this uh, designation or this topic, does it have to do with your target market, with your existing clients? Um, does your CEO and the leadership of the team have a strong opinion about that? And when we go through all those questions, then we can decide like, yes, it makes sense to take a stand or no, it doesn't. And if it doesn't make sense to take a stand, but there's pressure around that, we'll come up with language for them to use in their marketing and to share with their employees. So if anyone ever says, hey, we noticed that you don't have, I don't know, we noticed that you don't have same-sex couples in your marketing, maybe there's a reason that they don't want to do that, but then they have a response for that. So being proactive and prepared can help so much when it comes to these particular situations. Because when you're trying to deal with them on the fly, whether it's a small thing like someone asking you if you believe in a particular topic or not, or a full-on canceling, if you can do some of that work ahead of time, you're much better prepared. Well, it leads into this comment from Victor who says maybe there's an increased market for like small, flexible PR. Your business is about helping to manage, deal, and protect from cancel culture. But essentially, this is what you're explaining is that it's a public relations exercise there well it's it's comprehensive because it touches every single aspect of the business it touches your employees it touches your leadership team it touches your clients it touches your suppliers your vendors and then there's the whole public persona of that so i think if pr firms are very holistic in the way that they do employee relations investor relations if they get involved in customers yes i think there are certainly opportunities but you have to approach this thing from a holistic perspective because it's not just about public perception because you have so many stakeholders involved. Like I just worked on a situation where uh, this business was getting attacked and the investors were freaked out. Like the investors were like losing their minds over the giant financial investment they had made in this company. So we had to work with the investors to make them feel more comfortable and bring them into the process and have them help us make decisions. So really all of those stakeholders and all of the aspects of the business have to be considered. Even things like corporate security, because if you're attacked, there are so many ways that, that you can be damaged through being hacked. I had a situation where there was someone, an ex-employee attacking this business, and she physically was going into their space and harassing their employees and just giving them a lot of problems. So we had to put in a whole security system for a while. They had a security guard at the space. So it really, you really have to approach this from a holistic business perspective because that's the damage can cut to the core. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bernard says internet anonymity is the thing. It's anonymity, the same reason why people may yeah. act a little bit more rudely when they're driving on the freeway because they don't think they actually have to meet that person face to face. Um, I, I read something about evolutionary psychology and it was talking about how, um, you know, the, the way that we evolved over time. It, we all kind of want to get along because, you know, back in the days when we all lived in the village, we had to trust each other that, you know, when we were sleeping, the neighbor wouldn't come over and like do away with us or whatever. Sure. And so there's all these sort of uh, social niceties and a desire to get along bred into us when we're dealing face to face with people. Yeah. But bring the internet into this solution and all of a sudden that maybe those that circuitry isn't really firing the way it, it was originally designed. Yep, it's it's so true. It, I I 
believe, and maybe this is a naivete, but I believe that a lot of the people that attacked me would have never said those things to my face. Right. If they would have seen my humanity, looked in my eyes, saw the tears when they started saying those nasty things. I just think it's, it is so easy when you're anonymous to attack and to be nasty. I mean, we've all seen the comments online or that, you know, that read a news article and read the comments. Oh my gosh, people just lose their minds. And I, I don't think that most people would do that in person, but it's, it is creating a groove and like, it's a creating a pattern with people that now we are starting to see some of that nastiness in person. I just read a news article that a bunch of retail outlets, Gap was one of them, H&M was another one are trying to figure out how to decrease the pressure in their stores because there's been so many conflicts and people getting so angry with their employees and throwing clothing and like just pitching a fit inside of the stores that that it, it's almost like we have we practice this online and now people are taking it into real life and I think we should all be very afraid of that. Wow. Uh, Richard says, how would you solve the issue? Like you can't censor people's opinions. I imagine your customers base would stick by you. I, I don't think it's about censoring opinion. I mean, people are free to have whatever opinion they want. It's when people go and they decide to undertake an, a malicious action. You know, the, the, they, they want to go in and like hurt somebody. Yes. And, and I mean, that's, you know, yeah, I, I guess that's, that's the, the line in the sand, isn't it? It's when people start to act out in a proactive way to try to do damage to someone. Right. So you're exactly right. It's not about censoring opinions. I mean, we live in a wonderful place where people can have opinions, but when they cross that line of trying to destroy you because you don't believe the same thing that they do is when we have a problem. So um, we are seeing some court, some court cases. There are definitely some court cases where businesses are going after the individuals that attacked them. I'm hoping that that helps turn the tide, but really right now we it, I think it's foolish to try and stop the problem. I think it's we're much better off trying to protect and defend ourselves from that, especially as business owners, because we can't. It's like who can stop Twitter? Nobody can stop Twitter, right? It's just like it's its own beast out there right now. But you have to protect yourself against that. So you have to realize first and foremost that this can happen to you. I mean, again, I wasn't a big like name on the internet. I had twenty five hundred followers on. Instagram, I had a small business, I had a few employees, I was growing that up. So I mean, it can happen to anybody. You don't have to be a celebrity or an influencer. And then really work on what can you do to protect your business. And a big piece of that is figuring out where are you vulnerable and shoring all of those kinds of things up. And there's a lot of different ways that people are vulnerable that they don't even understand. Like I worked with a client that has a $10 million a year business. Every single one of their online accounts had the same login, the same password, and the password, I'm not kidding you, was their pet's name, one, two, three. Yeah. And every employee, I think they have 30 employees in the company, had certain access to those accounts. Same username, same password. So it's things like that, like looking at where is your business vulnerable? Um, and what can you do to, to clean those things up? And, you know, so much of this stuff does happen on social media. And just like me, I know there are business owners that post stuff on social media that they don't, don't even think about. I mean, what I posted, I didn't think about it for two seconds. If I would have stopped or had that in my content plan or really thought about it, I would not have posted that. So right. being really mindful about what you post online, have it be 
purposeful. Do not have someone who's like a junior level marketing person posting things online without senior level person looking at it. And I always recommend people go back and look at what they posted on social media too, because there are things that we post on social media just even a year or two or three years ago that you could look at today and raise an eyebrow and say that could start something. So you have to really not approach this like, how are we going to stop these people? But how am I going to protect myself and my business and quite frankly, my family? It's, it's a different, it is, it's a different mindset. You know, like I, I know that um, when Yat Long joined the team, uh, she went through my Twitter feed and I had made a comment at some point about something that was in the news and I had reference to China and she was like, well, why would you say this about Chinese people? And I said, I didn't say that about Chinese people. I was referring to like the government, like the nation of China. And she said, yeah, yeah I know. She says, I know I'm smart. I'm educated, but other people may not realize that. And so I was just like, well, let's just delete that one then. Yeah. And so, but it, it feels weird to have to worry about those things, but I guess we really do have to worry about those things, don't we? We, we do, but I don't want, I don't want anybody to think that they need to censor themselves necessarily, but you have to be mindful about it. So I would ask you, Dave, was, was you making that comment about China material to your business and material to people getting to know you and what you offer? No, they were totally not. So then, so, you know, it doesn't need to be yeah. out there, right? Like, there, if right. it doesn't have a purposeful meaning and a reason behind posting it, don't put it up there. And, and I think that also clarifies marketing for people because I think for a long time people were told, we need to show our personality and be vulnerable online, and there's so much garbage. I can't tell you how many Instagram accounts I've gone to. Like, I just moved recently, so, like, I was looking for someone to do my hair, right? So I go to this girl's Instagram account looking for stuff about how I can – it was her business Instagram account how I can understand how she would be a good fit for me to do my hair. She had pictures of food. She had pictures of her yard. And like that has nothing to do with how you can serve me. So I think that this can help people clarify like all of that stuff just really doesn't matter. And your opinions on potentially controversial stuff probably doesn't matter to your potential customers. In fact, it could be a negative. Well, I'll tell you one thing people do have to do and that's hit the like button. We need the likes. So if you're watching live or if you're watching the replay, please hit the like button. Yes. Um, I got, here's a specific, here's a, here's a question. I, I, I hate to put you on the spot, but yeah. Richard says, what would be an example of a response for not having same sex couples depicted in marketing? For example, yeah. I'm not sure there would be one that wouldn't cause offense either one way or the other. What, what I, then obviously Richard's point of view is that if he feels like he's kind of cornered, sure. like, you know, what, what can people do? Right. Because you feel like whether you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, like half the population is going to not be happy with you one way or the other. So what you have to do is figure out, is that topic material to your business? Again, if you're a gay bar, totally material to your business. If you make cupcakes, not material to your business at all. And so if it's not material to your business, I would recommend it's not material to your business and if it's not something that like the owner or the founder is really passionate about you don't have to make a public statement on it i don't think that it's necessary for everyone to make a statement about every particular thing now if someone asks you one-on-one -on -one, that's different right you can have a conversation you can say i don't know gosh i grew up catholic and my you know parents installed that 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 value in me and i think everybody has a right to choose who they love but for me it's just not right or whatever it might be right those are the kinds of things that as you're looking at your business and looking at vulnerabilities 
thinking about that stuff up front and thinking about that language up front is so incredibly important because you don't want, you don't want to be caught off guard by someone asking you, they, they might be asking you innocently, right? And, and I think that we can, when we're having conversations with people and communicating with people, we can get into those kind of gray areas where we may not agree on something, but that's okay. You know, I don't have to go and destroy your business because of it. Yeah, I, I, I think the big takeaway that I'm taking from this is just to sit down and play a what if game and just think about all of these topics that seem to be uh, bubbling up in, in, in current affairs and the news and just ask yourself, you know, what would different people on the different sides of this issue and this issue and this issue have to say about what we're doing just so that you can put some thought into it so that you are prepared mm -hmm. so that you're not completely caught off guard because I think when when somebody's caught off guard and they're not prepared that's when they say do something that maybe is going to be i mean this yeah. is what happened with you i mean you did something mm -hmm. without really considering what could have happened right 100 percent, yes and and again it, it's it can feel daunting to think about oh my gosh why do i have to think about all these particular scenarios but think about the ones that are most material to your business which are, the, which are the things that would touch your business? Which are the things that would potentially be an issue? Or if a customer asked you about it, it wouldn't be completely out of the blue. Maybe it's maybe you own a clothing store and a customer says, maybe you own a children's clothing store and a customer says, hey, do you have any gender, gender neutral clothes for kids? Well, right now you only have blue stuff for boys and pink stuff for girls. So like think about that consciously and purposely up front and you can make your own business decision whether it makes sense for you to have i don't know yellow and green clothes that are more inclusive or non-gender specific or maybe not but thinking about that up front is important so that you don't get caught off guard because most of us especially when it comes to anything that's like contentious or kind of controversial or awkward are not very good on our feet me included <laughs> sarah why don't you why don't you tell us a little bit about your business and, and what you do for people and 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 why someone would want to reach out and uh, contact you at stopcancelculture.com. Sure. So um, I generally work with businesses and individuals in two areas. One is when they're in crisis. So a canceling has started. They're starting to get attacked. I come in and work with them to look at what damage has already been done. How can we stop the bleeding? What can we do from an employee, an investor, a public relations standpoint? All of those kinds of things. Work with the news media, all of those kinds of things. And so I do a lot of that work right now, but I'm doing more and more uh, protection plans for people. So they're crisis protection plans. So we're looking at every aspect of their business to figure out where do they have vulnerabilities, not only from the potential of being canceled, but areas where they can be attacked. So is it the physical safety of their building? Is it that they use their, you know, their mom's maiden name for their password on their banking account, whatever it might yeah. be. So I help them to do an analysis to figure out where are the areas of vulnerability? What can we do to prepare for those? And then we also prepare a, cancer, a crisis plan. So if there were a problem, we'd already have things lined up. Like we have a website that we could put a statement up on. We have a spokesperson who's trained. We have all of those things um, put in place. And I have a lot of free resources on my website at stopcancelculture.com that people can tap into. That's awesome. And and um, I, I forgot to mention, the, the reason Sarah's here tonight is because she was one of the guest speakers in the Business Buyer Adventure Group Coaching Program last month. Um, every month we have someone like Sarah who comes in and, and talks with us about a specific issue, either to do with buying a business or uh, in managing a business. 
and and I got several comments from people in the group who really got a lot out of the interview that we did uh, we did for that uh, recording. But um, I want to thank you very much for for joining us tonight. I think it's been a really insightful conversation, and I think it's been really a good conversation in in, in a balanced way of, of just spreading the right message, which is. Um, this thing can happen. It may or not, may or may not be because you've done something bad. But the whole idea is that you just need to be prepared. Absolutely, absolutely, positively. And if and if people only take one thing away from this, it's to really look at their business and look at their individual selves, the presence that they already have online. Like go Google yourself. Go to the um, like the yellowpages.com. All of those kind of things. Look and see how you're already being represented. And if there's things out there that you don't like, make some changes for those right now before those could cause a potential problem. And with your social media too, go back through your social media. I know it's probably a hassle, but like get a glass of wine or a beer and just like go back through all that and make sure that there's nothing that's super controversial in that. That is the very best place to start is look where your presence is already online. Look where there are some of those vulnerabilities and start to clean that up. But as I've been warned with that beer and wine, don't start tweeting on Twitter. <laughs> exactly. Especially if you have more than one. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Sarah. It's been a really great conversation. I want to thank you so much uh, for joining us. And for everyone out there who, who joined us live and submitted questions, I want to thank you for those. It really helps to make a great conversation, have input from the crowd. And, uh, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, Dave. So how can you learn more about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses? Easy. Head over to my blog site, davidcbarnett.com, where you can learn more about me, learn how I work with my clients. You can learn about my books, courses that I've prepared for you. You can also find out all about how to subscribe to my email list, the YouTube playlists, etc. There's literally hundreds of hours of content there, all for free, and I'd love for you to be my guest.